Thank you, John. Thank you, worship team. Just before we uh, turn to the word, I just want to thank uh, the church, Lynn Baptist Church, for the uh, approval at the church meeting on Thursday of a couple of gener- um, generous donations to uh, missions that I'm involved in, the prison work. Thank you for the donation for the sycamore tree and for the Gideons. And uh, I do thank you and uh, bless the church. And I thank you for your generosity. Thank you. Well, this morning we're continuing our series in uh, the book of Acts, which started back in January when John uh, introduced our motto text. I'm sure you all uh, recite it every day from Acts 1-4. Wait for the gift my father promised. And then Darren, remember Darren who came to preach with a peep? He prayed about the importance of prayer from the second half of Acts. Moving into Acts 2, John preached two sermons in February. The first one on that fantastic day of Pentecost, uh, titled When the Holy Spirit Comes. Uh, and then in the, uh, the, the second one, in the, the very final section of, uh, of Acts 2, when John looked at the followers of Jesus and how they were living in community, and he posed the question, what is church? Now, if you, did, if you missed those sermons, they're available on the website, or I'm sure you can get the disc, so I would encourage you to, uh, to catch up with them. Well, today I get a whole chapter, chapter 3, and it's under the title Signs and Wonders I was given, but I've actually extended that to Signs, Wonders, and the Word. And I've asked Brian Drinkwater if he'll come and read that uh, scripture for us, so thank you, Brian. Well, before we share this scripture together, may I just give to all of you a huge thank you for all your prayers and thoughts and emails and cards and flowers and telephone calls regarding Margaret's illness. She's making good progress. We've been showered, swamped, might be a better word, with your love. And we're we're truly grateful. You are an amazing family. So thank you very much for that. She's making good progress, I'm glad to say, after an initial setback. And uh, uh, Will, in particular, will be very pleased to hear that Margaret is now exercising her culinary skills and expertise in coaching me over the stove. <laughs> and I've improved from beyond boiling eggs and toast, Will, so we are surviving. So thank you for your prayers, for me coping as well. But bless you for all your support and kind thoughts and prayers there. It's truly wonderful. Acts chapter 3. Now one day Peter and John were going up to the temple at the time of prayer at three in the afternoon. Now a man crippled from birth was being carried to the temple gate called Beautiful where he was put every day to beg from those going into the temple courts. When he saw Peter and John about to enter he asked them for money. Peter looked straight at him, as did John. Then Peter said, look at us. So the man gave them his attention, expecting to get something from them. Then Peter said, silver or gold I do not have, but what I have I give you. 
in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, walk. Taking him by the right hand, he helped him up, and instantly the man's feet and ankles became strong. He jumped to his feet and began to walk. Then he went with them into the temple courts, walking and jumping and praising God. When all the people saw him walking and praising God, they recognized him as the man who used to sit begging at the temple gate called Beautiful. And they were filled with wonder and amazement at what had happened to him. Now while the beggar held on to Peter and John, all the people were astonished and came running to them in the place called Solomon's Colonnade. When Peter saw this, he said to them, Men of Israel, why does this surprise you? Why do you stare at us as if by our own power or godliness we had made this man walk? The God of Abraham, Isaac and Jacob, the God of our fathers, has glorified his servant Jesus. You handed him over to be killed, and you disowned him before Pilate, though he had decided to let him go. You disowned the Holy and Righteous One, and asked that a murderer be released to you. You killed the author of life, but God raised him from the dead. We are witnesses of this. By faith in the name of Jesus, this man whom you see and know was made strong. It is Jesus' name and the faith that comes through him that has given this complete healing to him, as you can all see. Now, brothers, I know that you acted in ignorance, as did your leaders, but this is how God fulfilled what he had foretold through all the prophets, saying, his Christ would suffer. Repent, then, and turn to God, so that your sins may be wiped out, that times of refreshing may come from the Lord, and that he may send the Christ, who has been appointed for you, even Jesus. He must remain in heaven, until the time comes for God to restore everything, as he promised long ago through his holy prophets. For Moses said, The Lord your God will raise up to you a prophet like me from among your own people. You must listen to everything he tells you. Anyone who does not listen to him will be completely cut off from among the people. Indeed, all the prophets from Samuel on, as many have spoken, have foretold these days. And you are heirs of the prophets and of the covenant God made with your fathers. He said to Abraham, Through your offspring all peoples on earth will be blessed. When God raised up his servant, he sent him first to you to bless you by turning each of you from your wicked ways. May God bless his holy word to us today. Amen. Thank you, Brian. Let's just pray. Father, we pray with the psalmist this morning that you would open our eyes to see marvelous things in your word. Lord, prepare our hearts and minds to receive what you want to say to us today, because we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. The first Signs, wonders, and the word. Jesus' earthly ministry was uh, marked by signs and wonders, by miracles. Miracles that were performed to uh, 
establish Jesus' credentials, to prove that he was who he said he was, to prove that he was who the scriptures said he was, the promised Messiah. Remember when John the Baptist uh, sent two of his followers to Jesus to ask him, are you the one to come or should we expect someone else? Jesus replied, go back, report to John what you've seen and heard. The blind receive sight, the lame walk, those who have leprosy are cured, the deaf hear and the dead are raised, and the good news is preached to the poor. So that wasn't a straight yes or no, was it? But Jesus knew that it would satisfy John. Why? Because Jesus is confirming that the prophecy in Isaiah 35 and verse 5 was being fulfilled. And it was similar in uh, the the incident recorded in Luke's Gospel, Luke's Gospel chapter 4, when Jesus was handed the scroll of Isaiah in the temple And he he read from that scroll saying, The Spirit of the Lord is on me because he's anointed me to preach good news to the poor, etc. And he concluded, sat down, he concluded, he said, Today, this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. Now it's said that Jesus is hidden in the Old Testament and revealed in the New Testament. But I don't think he's especially well hidden in the Old Testament because there are 300 or so uh, prophecies about Jesus' birth, about his life, about his death on the cross and about his resurrection. And they're very clearly uh, referring to Jesus, unmistakably. And Peter makes this clear later, as we see when he addresses the crowd in Solomon's porch. So let's look at Acts 3. The first one, the wonder, and the next bit. What the beggar wanted, verses 1 to 3. Now the small group of believers was growing. The initial 120 or so mentioned in Acts 1.15 was dramatically swelled on the day of Pentecost by around 3,000. And at the end of chapter 2 we're told the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. What what exciting times those must have been. It says in Scripture, everyone was filled with awe and many wonders and miraculous signs were done by the apostles. And we're also told in uh, Acts 2.46 that every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. See, these first believers were Jews. And they continued to observe the tradition of praying at nine o'clock in the morning, three o'clock in the afternoon, and then at sunset. So here we find Peter and John heading up for the temple to pray and to worship at three in the afternoon. And as they approach the gate called Beautiful, a man who's been crippled since birth is being carried, carried to his pitch in order to ply the only trade he knew, begging, appealing to the generosity and piety of of uh, those heading for the temple. Well, the gate was called beautiful. 
But I can't imagine that the man himself saw much beauty in his desperate plight. But note that he was carried to his pitch. Who by, we don't know, possibly family members, possibly friends. But he couldn't have got there without this assistance. Every day he was put into position, day in, day out, to beg, to plead for money. And Peter and John must have passed him on many, many occasions on the way to pray. But today, in these fairly ordinary circumstances, something extraordinary was about to happen. Next, please. What Peter offered, verses 4 to 7. Peter fixes his eyes on the man, as does John, and asks for the same attention in return. Look at me, look at us, Peter commands. The beggar's hope of a cash gift rises. Perhaps in his mind eye he's rubbing his hands at the prospect of a, a generous donation. But then Peter disappoints his, uh, the beggar by declaring his lack of money. But this serves only to heighten the value of the great gift that he does offer. Complete help. Complete restoration. Not arms, but legs, as the old joke goes. But note, it is in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth that the gift of healing must be given. Hanshin, talking about a name, says, A name is an expression of a person's very essence. The power of the person is present and available in the name. And in the case of Jesus, the invocation of the name is a direct link between earth and heaven. It's not a magic formula. There's no magic involved. It's a simple recognition that if any salvation blessings are to come, they must arrive in and through the person of Jesus Christ. These were instructions that Jesus gave to his disciples recorded at the end of Luke's gospel. Repentance and forgiveness will be preached in my name to all nations. And Peter faithfully preached and ministered this truth as we saw back in Acts 2 on the day of Pentecost and we'll see later again in this passage. Peter commands the man to walk and grabs him by the right hand to raise him up. And John stopped, uh, notes, the power was Christ's, but the hand was Peter's. The power was Christ's, but the hand was Peter's. And this must be our blueprint, too, as we seek out to reach out to the least, the lost, and the broken. We have Jesus' power available to us but we must offer our hands to raise people up. As Paul says in Colossians 3.17, whatever you do, whether in word or deed, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus. So what did the gift comprise? Quite simply, wholeness, complete healing, immediately. 
Scripture says, instantly the man's feet and ankle bones receive strength. Jumping up, he stands for the first time in his life. For the first time ever. We're told later in the next chapter that he was over 40. So for over 40 years without being able to walk. Imagine the joy, the jubilation. I don't know whether you remember this, but it's about 12 months ago. There was uh, on the news a story about a lady, her name's Joanne, and she'd been deaf from birth. She was 40. She'd had a new procedure, an operation. I don't know the details of it. But the cameras were there to record the first time that somebody was going to speak to her to just test out to see whether it worked. And the doctor started to speak to her, slowly saying the days of the week, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday. And you could see her face. You can catch it on YouTube. Uh, I looked at it on YouTube to remind myself of it. But her face, you know, the joy that comes over her, but the amazement as well, it was fantastic. For the first time in 40 years, she could actually hear There were tears, there was laughter, there was joy, and almost disbelief. But it was truly a life-changing moment for Joanne. It must have been even more so for our beggar. And he tries out this newfound freedom. He's walking around, he moves through the temple courts, he's leaping, he's jumping, walking and jumping and praising God. And, you know, he's become the living embodiment of the messianic age as predicted in Isaiah 35 verse 6 which says then will the lame leap like a deer well should we expect such miracles today the apostles are no longer uh, with us and miracles seem to cluster around them but then even in that first century miraculous signs were not everyday occurrences But we have Jesus still. We have his power still available to us. So we shouldn't be surprised if we do hear about miracles happening, especially in countries like China and some countries in Africa where the church is growing really quickly, similarly to those early days of the, the church. But again, just to quote John Stott, says, a healing miracle in the New Testament sense must have the following marks. It must be an instantaneous and complete deliverance from a grave organic condition. It must, it must occur in response to a direct command in the name of Jesus. And it must be publicly acknowledged and indisputable. So what did the people witness? What the people witnessed was a miracle. They knew the man had been a cripple since birth. But now they were witnesses to the miracle and to its authenticity as they see him leaping and jumping and dancing with joy before their very eyes. More than that, they were filled with wonder and amazement. What's happening? What's going on here? Would witnessing this miracle cause them to trust in God? Well, not necessarily. Jesus makes this many uh, clear many times in his own ministry that people won't always believe what they've actually witnessed. For example, in Luke 16, in the, uh, the account of the rich man and Lazarus and that chasm between heaven and earth, 
right at the end of that, in verse 31, he says, if they, don't listen, if they do not listen to Moses and the prophets, they will not be convinced, even if someone rises from the dead. So witnessing miracles may contribute to a person's embrace of faith, but it won't necessarily produce faith. And that's why God's word must now be preached. It will explain the extraordinary and then issue a challenge which will demand a response and a decision. And then through the power of the Holy Spirit anointing the word, this proclamation will lead to repentance and a saving faith for many of the hearers. Well, nowadays we have the, uh, the New Testament, the Word, with all this recorded for us. But of course, Peter didn't have that. It hadn't been written at this particular point in time. But what he did have was even better, because he preached with the, uh, from the knowledge of a personal relationship with Jesus the living word, the word who became flesh. He'd been there. He was a witness to all that had happened. So let's have a look at the word that Peter preached. And the next bit. So first of all, the setting. After the prayer service uh, at the temple there, the apostles with the beggar clinging to them returned to the court of the Gentiles. And all the people rushed to see them, gathering at Solomon's colonnade or Solomon's porch. And we learn later in Acts, in fact, that this is where the early believers tended to, to congregate, around Solomon's, uh, Solomon's porch. The people are astonished, and their amazement is mingled with fear. What's going on? Lack of understanding. And just as at Pentecost... The crowd's attention has been grabbed by a miraculous occurrence, a a miraculous event. And Peter is quick to grasp the opportunity to preach the gospel. And first he he talks about the, the source of the miracle. Peter seizes the moment and asks the people, why are they so surprised and amazed? Why are they amazed? Why are they surprised? He quickly dispels any uh, impression or conception that the miracle was produced by any power in them, in Peter and John, or by their perceived godliness. Peter actually lays it on the line. He declares that the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob has in this healing glorified his servant Jesus. And then boldly and fearlessly, Peter alleges that they, the people there listening to him, handed Jesus over and disowned him by rejecting Pilate's judgment that he was innocent. They disowned the holy and righteous one. And they asked that a murderer be released to them. Now, when Peter was mentioning uh, Abraham, Jacob, and Isaac, and elsewhere, Moses and Solomon, he's talking about men who lived hundreds, if not thousands, of years earlier. But talking about what happened with Jesus, 
It was fresh in people's memory. It only just happened a few weeks earlier. Maybe some of those now listening to Peter were actually in that crowd on the eve of the crucifixion amongst those that shouted, crucify him, crucify him. Or maybe they were ones that when he said, do you want Barabbas or do you want Jesus? They said, release Barabbas, release Barabbas. Maybe the same people were there listening to Peter now. Disowning the holy and righteous one, they asked for a murderer to be released. And then, with a really striking phrase, Peter asserts that the author of life, the very creator of life, had been deprived of his life. Talk about telling it as it is. But Peter then immediately declares the good news. God raised him from the dead. God raised him from the dead. And we are witnesses of this. By faith in the name of Jesus, this man was made strong. But no, it was the apostles' faith in the power of Jesus' name. Not the beggar. The beggar was there asking for money. Peter and John received at that moment the power from Jesus to bring the healing to the beggar in that powerful name of Jesus. So he followed this immediately by a call to repentance, just as he had at Pentecost. In that great sermon there, he, 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 he moves now from indictment of what they've done to a call to repentance. He'd, he'd moving from this assertion that his fellow Jews killed the Messiah, but he, 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 he tells them it was an ignorance. You didn't know what you were doing. They failed to recognize Jesus' true identity. Though it should have been evident from his words, his actions, the miracles, the signs and wonders, they failed to recognize it. Now, this doesn't mitigate their guilt, but rather it makes their predicament all the worse. But even this ghastly mistake was, at, was, was part of, of God's plan as foretold through all the prophets. Peter, Peter commands the crowd to repent, to renounce their sinful lives and turn to God. so that their sins might be wiped out and times of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord. Repentance, it's really about turning. It's not just saying sorry. It's not just being sorry. It's turning. Instead of going in one direction, the direction that the world would have us go, turning around completely, following Christ. This was the message that Peter was preaching. But there's more. Peter tells them that God will send them the Christ who's been appointed for them at the end when he restores all things in his second coming. 
What positive motivations for repentance for the crowd in Solomon's porch that morning? What positive motivations for you and me today? Repent. Turn to God. Because our slate has been wiped clean. Our parched lives are refreshed in the present by the se- in the present seasons of the Spirit's outpouring and our future perfection when one day we'll be in glory is promised and is assured in a way that's beyond our human imagination. Today this message is vital to the eternal destiny of each one of us. So what should our response be? Should we be seeking signs and wonders and miracles today? Well, as I said earlier, we shouldn't be surprised if we hear of miracles or even witness them because Jesus is still present in the power of his Holy Spirit. But we must recognise what the main priority is. We must recognise what our main priority should be. In Luke 9, we read that Jesus called the 12 together, the 12 disciples, and he personally gave them power and authority to drive out all demons, to cure diseases, to preach the kingdom of God, and to heal the sick. Off they went, and they came back and they reported what had happened. And no doubt, they were quite impressed with the success and with what they'd seen happening. Then in the next chapter, in Luke 10, Jesus appoints another 72 of his followers and authorises them, appoints them to go out in his name. And we hear that they returned with joy and said to Jesus, Lord, even the demons submit to us in your name. How cool would that be? Sapping demons, seeing people uh, cured of blindness. Fantastic. They were excited. They were full of joy. But then Jesus pointed out what their priority should be and what our priority should be. He says, do not rejoice because the Spirit submit to you, but rejoice that your name is written in heaven. That's the greatest miracle of all. That wretches, sinners like you and me can become new creations in Jesus. Ransomed, healed, restored and forgiven because of what Jesus did on the cross of Calvary. Friends, there's not one person here this morning who doesn't know cripples in desperate plight, like the beggar at that gate. They may not be physically lame, but they're crippled, crippled by sin, and they're destined to spend eternity in hell. We know folks in this state, in our families, our friends, our neighbours, our community, at work and in school, And like this beggar, they need someone to carry them, to carry them to the gate. 
to the gate to heaven, to the beautiful one, our Lord Jesus. Why not ask God this morning, who is this he wants you to carry to the gate? It was last November when I, I last stood here in the morning service and um, spoke on the passage in Matthew 25, verses 31 to 46. And it's headed the sheep and the goats. But that was just at the tail end of Prisons Week and I was speaking on the prisons ministry and um, I concentrated more on the verse that called me and many others who were involved in, in the prisons ministry where Jesus says... I was in prison, and you visited me. I skipped over those uh, first few sobering verses about the, the final judgment. But it's the stuff of nightmares. You know, just imagine, picture in your mind that, that scene at the final judgment. You know, and, and we're there with the sheep. The sheep, the ones going to heaven. We start moving off with a skip in our feet. You know, we, we, we're pleased we're going to heaven, but we look over and we see those folk, the goats, and they're going off and they're trudging with their heads down. And you look over. I, I, I look over and I see, I see a neighbor. I see Sue. Sue, she's a lovely lady. What, what's she doing there? And look again. There's that guy who comes in the sanctuary cafe. Why didn't I spend more time speaking to him, telling him about Jesus? I look again. There's my brother. My brother Graham. Oh, no, Lord, no. And he looks over at me and he's mouthing the words. Why didn't you tell me? Why didn't you warn me? I, said, I thought I told you. I thought I tried to tell you. It's a nightmare. We have to get serious about this. It's a matter of a life. Who are you going to carry the, to the gate, to the beautiful one, to Jesus? Let's pray.